Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about corrupt authority and what we should not do about it. And then we talk a little bit about Advent. If you're new to the podcast or you haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you would be so kind, leave a five-star review. And if you want to get into heaven, leave a comment. It is guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening and supporting the Institute of Men. What's going on, everybody? Like I said in the intro, my name is Keaton Tucker. I hope you are doing well today. I hope you're enjoying uh, your Christmas season. If you're listening to this in December or if you've already started your Christmas season or if you're like some of us in the United States of America or wherever you listen around the world, a lot of times we start Christmas in November because that's just kind of what happens around here that goes up in the stores and and there's, there you are. You skip right over Thanksgiving and there's the Christmas. Maybe it's only an American thing. I'm not really sure. Um, but I do hope you are doing well today, wherever you're listening. I just want you to let you know this is the last episode of 2024 or 2023. Excuse me. I will not. I'm not going to be doing any episodes for the remainder of 2023. I'll be posting again in 2024. The big reason for that is I just want to focus on Advent. Uh, Me and my family are going to be doing Advent together more intentionally this year. And I want to spend, I want to do like my daily readings and our weekly readings and, and just spend my day focusing on that instead of trying to uh, write podcast episodes and whatever other content I'm doing. So I'm just going to take the whole month off and, um, Focus on Advent, and we'll come back and continue the podcast in January in 2024, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. If you have never done Advent or you've never heard the word Advent, I hope you've heard the word Advent. Uh, uh, Advent is the Christmas season. It's the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, and the Holy Family, which Joseph and Mary, and and thinking about what it would have been like for Joseph and what it would have been like for Mary and to welcome the Son of God into the world and the responsibility that, that was rested on their shoulders, but then also the fulfillment of God saying, like, I'm going to return. Like, I'm going to return. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But when uh, Mary and Joseph so old let me back up old testament god god's presence leaves the temple well you can read about it in ezekiel it leaves the temple and it says like you can see the visible cloud of the presence of god leave and then he never returns even after they rebuild the temple he never returns and so when you come into uh, there's all the prophets saying that they're gonna that god's going to return he's going to return his presence is going to come back and when you read in Luke about Mary and Joseph taking Jesus and their two turtle doves into the temple, you have uh, Mary is carrying God like, back into the temple. God is returning to the temple as a baby. And it's like, it's this like, hey, God's back. And, he's, and that's why um, 
oh, what's his name? The the man who's sitting there, he's waiting to see the salvation of God. He's waiting in the temple to see the salvation of God. He leaps for joy when he sees Jesus and is like, now your servant can depart in peace. So Advent is a time to think about all of these things and to meditate on them and be very, very thankful that, that God has come into the world. And 2,000 years later, everyone around the globe is celebrating Christmas, which more Christ, more Christ. So if you haven't done Advent, I encourage you to do Advent. You can just Google Advent studies. I'm sure every Bible app ever made has some Advent studies, uh, or you can just, you know, Google search and, you know, do that thing. Um, and enjoy Advent turning gears real quick. I do have a book recommendation for you on today is cyber Monday. So if you happen to listen to this podcast today on cyber Monday, audible is having a lot of sales right now. You can get books for like $2 or $3. You don't have to wait for that credit. And there's a book recommendation that I have. I've listened to about a quarter of it. And I I just think it's a fantastic book for all men to listen to. It's not really a book I would invest $20 or $30 in, but it is a good book for you to at least listen to. And if you can get it for $3 on Audible, why not? It's called No Apologies by Anthony Esselin. I've been wanting to read it for a while. Uh, Anthony Esselin is a, I believe he's a philosopher or is a historian. I, I, I'm not really sure which one, I forget which one he is, but he writes a lot of books and he wrote this book called No Apologies, Why Civilization Depends on the Strength of Men. And I just, I recommend it. He's a Christian guy, recommend that book. Uh, and you can get it for three bucks on Audible. And uh, so do Advent and listen to No Apologies by Anthony Esselin on Audible. Okay, so today I want to talk about what do you do when it comes to corrupt authority or perceived corrupt authority or actual corrupt authority. And this is more, this passion's not the right word. This is a deep conviction that I have, that I've had for several years now. And I think about this frequently and and how God institutes authority and how he uses positions of authority and how he maintains offices and anoints people for those offices. And he raises up people and he brings people down. And I, I think a lot about authority. And then I also think a lot about uh, rebellion against authority. And we are coming up on election year 2024. And which I, I dread election years. I'm sure you dread election years. I, I dread election years. We're coming up on an election year. And we do currently have a president who it seems very obvious that there's a lot of corruption there. But if you were to, uh, we and then we sat through four years of, you know, of accusatory corruption for our former president, President Trump, but nothing ever surfaced, and there there has been this created tension for government authority between the two parties, where it's if my guy's not elected, I'm going to rebel. So when it was Trump, when it was President Trump, uh, it's the half the country's like I'm going to rebel, not my president. Okay, well, he is your president. And then it happened with Biden, not my president. Rebel against Biden. Do this against Biden or complain about Biden or whatever. And there's, you know, there's probably plenty to complain about. But um, God does say, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. That's an exodus. And so we're going to, we're going to actually, I want to talk about uh, some of that today. And this, I want to, I really, I feel a deep conviction to us going to an election season, but I've also been on Twitter and I watch and read, I actually had to delete Twitter because I was just so disheartened about it, but um, watching Christians 
speak evil of rulers in their rulers or authority positions of authority within their churches. And it's wrong. It's a sin. It's wrong. It's wrong to do that. You don't know why God has put certain people in certain positions. You just, you don't know. And if you don't uh, like it, you have a couple options. You can, one, you need to keep your mouth shut. You can't speak evil of a ruler of your country. That's directly an excess. I'm getting ahead of myself, but because uh, I want to give you some examples. You don't complain about them publicly. You don't, um, you know, the, you can, or at least, how do I want to say this? You need to be very careful what you say on an internet platform about rulers of your people, whether they're government authorities, church authorities, whatever. You need to be very, very careful about it because you don't know why God has put people in certain authority. You also fail to understand how God uses authority and why it's very important that you submit to rulers of your people. And this is very, very important to learn as a young man, because once you get older, it gets much more difficult to learn to submit to authority. This is why you learn, you learn it by through your parents really is where you learn it. So, okay. So we're, we're coming up on an election year. We have that. And I I was just reading stuff through, through on the Twitter sphere, which I call it hell. I call Twitter hell. It's like, every time I check it, it's like, oh, let's see what's going on in hell today. Cause that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like hell. And you can kind of see what everybody's thinking. And it was just, it was so disheartening to be on when it's just seeing people talk about this stuff. And, um, I know things aren't great, but you're whining on Twitter isn't helping either. And you could do a lot better than sitting there watching the news all day. So you have something to complain about and don't fall for that trap. Put your efforts into doing something good in the world. Okay, and don't speak evil of your authority. God has said, don't speak evil against your authority. That's in Exodus 22, 28. But I want to give you a couple examples of this temptation uh, from the scripture uh, that every that people have fallen into. And I want to look at Moses and Miriam. I'm going to look at David and Absalom. Then I also want to look at David and Saul in the cave, along with what David's men have said. I want to look at uh, Paul in Exodus. And then I want to look at what Jesus said. Very, uh, we're going to go through these very, very briefly. And then I want to just... I want to just call out what it what it looks like to rebel against authority in the internet world and and some of the um, what ends the results of rebellion against authority under the perceived notion of good. So let's just let's go through these stories. So the first one is Moses and Miriam, and in Numbers chapter uh, twelve, Numbers chapter twelve, um, Miriam and Aaron, so Miriam is Moses' sister, and Aaron is Moses' older brother. He's the high priest. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because the Cushite woman that he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. So Moses married a woman who is not of the people of Israel, and according to the law, you were supposed to marry a person of Israel within Israel. You were not supposed to marry a foreigner, especially if you're a leader. You're not supposed to marry a foreigner. And here is Moses. He married a foreigner. And you're like, that's corrupt. That's corrupt. Oh, he should. He broke the law. He can't be trusted. And so Miriam and Aaron, they decide instead of talking to Moses about it, they spoke against Moses, which means they didn't speak to him. They spoke about him to whoever would listen. And they said, and this is what they said. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us also? Don't I also have an individual private relationship with the Lord? Don't I have the same authority as people in authority? Wrong. Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek and more than meek than anybody on the face of the earth. So Moses isn't going to stand up and defend himself. 
And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. So God's like, all right, we're going to have a come to Jesus moment without Jesus. We're, you're going to come talk to me and I'm going to settle this. You're going to come out, the three of you, to the tent of meeting. <laughs> so you're in trouble. And the three of them came out and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and he stood at the entrance of the tent and he called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. So, yeah, you know, there are God speaks to whoever is listening. There are theologians who hear from God or as they're studying, they feel prompted to go one way. And that doesn't give them author- the, the position of, author- of necessary authority. There's you and me. We have, we have our uh, devotions to God. We pray. We hear from God. And that doesn't give us authority. That just means we've heard from God and it's in riddles or it's, in, it's a mystery or it's unclear. You don't see everything, but it doesn't constitute authority. So God has spoken face-to-face with Moses in this story, but he is also, you know, Aaron's the high priest. He's probably heard from God. He deals with God every day. Miriam is this leader in Israel and probably deals with God every day. They don't have the same authority as Moses. And even though Moses did something he was not supposed to do, they did not have the authority to speak against him to the people of Israel. And God saw that as a sin. He saw it as a sin. They could have privately talked to Moses, but they didn't have the authority to stir division because that's what happens every time you speak against an authoritative figure. Every time it stirs division. Every single time it calls people over to your camp, people who are do not could not possibly know every possible factor or understanding. They couldn't know every fact. They couldn't know every element. They couldn't even know if you're bending the truth. And it just causes people to go into camps under a new leader, which I'm again, I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's there's the first time that there's where you have people with a certain level of authority rebelling against the top authority that God has instituted. And God says, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Okay. So there's the, there's our first story. First example. Okay. Um, and this again, you know, coming from Exodus 23, 28, it's, you know, two chapters after the 10 commandments, it's early in the covenant as God is revealing the covenant to the people of Israel. And he says, you shall not speak evil against a ruler of your people. And right before that, the verse right before it, um, is talking about a man who like, if a man lends you his coat, give it to him back because that's all he has to sleep in. And he's like, and if he, if you don't, and he cries out to me, I'm going to hear him. I'm going to be compassionate. So right over there, it's like, Hey, if someone's taking advantage of the poor, God's going to take care of it. Um, you can trust God. And a lot of ban- rebellion against authority comes from not trusting God. You get mad at the authority for not taking care of the poor person. And God's like, I'm going to take care. That's, but that's a whole other tangent that I should have developed more than putting it just in this podcast. Okay. Um, all right. I want to talk about, let's go David and Saul in the cave first. 
So uh, if you're familiar with the story of David, David is anointed king at a very young age, but he is not king yet. Saul is king. Saul is king. Saul has forfeited all of his privileges as king. God has torn the kingdom away from, from, Solomon, or from Saul, but he's still king. So God took the kingdom away from him, but he didn't take his position of authority. He's still the king. And he goes mad. He starts throwing spears at David. He doesn't like David. He chases David out of Jerusalem or out of is the king's palace, out of wherever he's living. And David ends up living among the caves and people come to David and David hides in the Philistines and he starts leading this army and he doesn't ever fight against Saul ever. He does not do it. He won't even speak an evil word against Saul. And like not once he will, it says over and over, I will not raise my voice or against the Lord's anointed. So even though David has been anointed King, he has not been made King by God. Not yet. He's out in the caves. He's doing what Kings do. So he fights battles on behalf of Israel. He does what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't rebel against Saul. And this manifests most boldly in the cave. So Saul goes into the cave to take a dump is basically what it does. And David cuts part of his coat off just to be like, because his men are like, you know, go kill him. And David's like, I'm not going to do that. But he cuts part, of, cuts part of his coat off. So David's men, they say this phrase to him that is so easy for you and I to fall for. Saul is taking a dump in a cave. He can't see anything. And the men whisper to David, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. See what goodness the God, God has had towards you. Take his life and become king is essentially what they say. The Lord has given your enemy into your hand. And what they're saying in that moment is God has arranged events now for you to take the place that is rightfully yours. And David says, I will not do that because that is the Lord's anointed and you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people, you also shall not murder. That's also in the Ten Commandments. So he'd be breaking two of the commandments, but he's also the king. And God has made it very clear in the law, and David is familiar with the law, you do not rebel against authority even if they are corrupt. Even if they're corrupt. And David maintains his integrity. So he cuts the robe, Saul goes out of the cave. He has no idea that he's been cut. You know, that the robe has been cut. It's probably very big. And David, his, his heart strikes him. He's like, ah, oh, I've sinned against the Lord's anointed. And so he exits the cave to confess to Saul, who has an army ready to kill him. David is so convicted that he has cut this man's robe that he walks out of a cave willing to give his life to confess that he has sinned against the Lord's anointed. And that's a deep conviction that David has that you don't rebel against authority. And it didn't change anything for him. He confessed. He didn't die. Saul didn't come after him that time, but it, Saul quickly came after him again. And never once did David try to take his own life into his hands by rebelling against what God has put in place because God is never, ever ever okay with rebellion against what he has put in place, even if it's corrupt. I'm giving you examples of men who, who broke the law and who were corrupt and God is still not okay with it. You don't, you, cause you don't know what God's doing through authority and God deals with authority, which again, I'm going to, then there's David and Absalom. 
David and Absalom. And so David becomes king. You know, Saul dies in battle. David becomes king. David works very hard to reunite uh, the, the tribes of Judah and all of Israel who had followed Saul. He reunites the kingdom. And there's, you know, he fights all the battles and he becomes king and he has all these kids. And Absalom, you know, there's an event with his sister. It's terrible. And Absalom... Um, is very angry about this and he's, he runs away and David doesn't go get him. And, but he gets, he, you know, he comes back, but he refuses to like, or David won't let him sit. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but what Absalom would do is he would sit at the gate of the city when people would come in to have a, present a case before David, like a, a court case or a judgment case. Like they need the king's judgment on this. And Absalom would stop them and say, no matter what it was, didn't matter what the case was. See, your case is good. You are absolutely right. He won the hearts. It says he stole the hearts of Israel by not practicing justice, but by by telling everybody whatever you were to bring before the king is right. And then he then he would say, "Oh, if only I were king. Oh, if only I were king. Oh, if only I were king." And he steals the hearts of the people of Israel, and David ends up having to flee the city because his son has now declared himself king. Well, it doesn't take very long for God to take care of that, and Absalom dies very, very quickly. But it's, it's a story of a man who he was so mad at David for what he thought David should have done that he decided to take it upon himself to anoint himself king and to steal the hearts of Israel, and God didn't have it. God would not put up with it. Because God, God deals with authority as he sees fit. Fast forward again. Let's go to Paul. Paul is missionary journey over and over again. And eventually he goes to Jerusalem and he gets brought before the rulers of uh, Jerusalem. And he's brought before the high priest. And the high priest smacks him in the face. And he calls him a whitewashed tomb. And someone says, how dare you speak against the high priest? And Paul, okay, so he's on trial unjustly for preaching the gospel. He disagrees with what this high priest is teaching. He's actively against him, but he's the ruler of the Jewish people because he's the high priest. And so Paul says, I'm so sorry, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He So he gets smacked in the face unjustly, says something he shouldn't have said, realizes it's the high priest, and he, he apologizes. And then quotes the verse that this whole podcast is based off. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He's on an un, he's in an unjust trial. And he's still, he's like, I'm not going to speak against who God has put in place. Fast forward or back up and let's talk about Jesus. So Jesus, you know, there's often a lot of complaints about Jesus and the Pharisees, not complaints, uh, contrasting of Jesus and the Pharisees. People are like, Jesus is all about relationship and, and the Pharisees are just about religion. Like Jesus wasn't that much different than a Pharisee. He was just more compassionate than they were. They He loved their zeal for the law. Uh, N.T. Wright makes this very clear in, in a lot of his books. He was of the four primary sects of Judaism at the time, uh, the Essenes, the Zealots, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones that were most like Jesus. Um, also Jesus is God and he instituted the entire law of the old Testament. Jesus was a pretty religious man. He didn't miss a Passover by the way, he even died on one. Um, and he was just, he was, he was very compassionate, but you, the opposite, the thing that people do where they pit relationship and religion against each other is, is silly. 
but Jesus, you know, so they often be like, see, Jesus is not like the Pharisees at all. But Jesus didn't mind arguing with the Pharisees. He he just he never once argued with an Essene. He didn't bother. He didn't argue with the Zealots. He didn't bother. He made one a disciple. And he spent one week with the Sadducees and they had him killed. And, you know, the Pharisees did plot to have Jesus killed. They got with the Hellenists. They wanted him killed. Sure, yeah, some of the ones in the high authority did. But he would, they would at least argue with him. Um, and read some scholars that are more educated than I am on that. But anyway, there's this this thing that where we be like, don't be like Pharisees. But Jesus tells his disciples, he says, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees sit on Moses' seat. So do what they say, but don't practice the works that they practice. What does that mean? It means when they teach you about the law, do what they say. Just don't copy their way of life. Don't copy you know, their luxury. Don't copy the fact that they sit at the best seats at the tables. Don't copy that they like being seen by others. Don't copy any of that. But when they teach you something, listen to what they say because they sit on Moses's seat. What is Moses? Moses's seat is the teaching authority in Israel that's passed down, you know, through the high priest and through the, the, the priesthood and through the Sadducees and, and however all that worked in those days. But it was a recognize. Jesus says, like, hey, there was a there was a seat, there was an office instituted by God a long time ago with a man named Moses, and there has been a high priest ever since, ever since. And yeah, they're corrupt, they're very corrupt, but they're on the seat, so do what they say, because you shall not speak evil against your authority, you shall not rebel against authority. God doesn't like. He, do, he doesn't like rebellion against authority because when you rebel against authority, you're rebelling against God because God institutes authority. All authority has been instituted by God and ordained by God. It's in Romans. It's in first Peter. And you're like, how does that work? I don't, you can't with the sovereignty of God and elections and, and all that. How do you know? I have no idea, but it is that he has instituted and ordained authority. He said his hand of approval on it. I mean, like, that is the authority I have chosen. Do not rebel against them. Now, you're going to be like, you If you, you could say, all right, well, what about Hitler? Okay, well, my first reply to that is I never concede arguments to outliers or to the periphery. I just don't because it undermines all principles of life, all biblical principles, all religious principles, all teaching. It just undermines. You can always throw out an outlier that seemingly undermines a principle, but with someone like Hitler, who was that evil, well, God deals with authority using other authorities, which is why other authorities declared war on Hitler. You know, that's it's God uses authority to deal with authority. And he doesn't use, that's just, just what he does. There's nothing that you and I could have done, if we're going to use Hitler as, a, as an example, there's nothing that you and I could have done with our smartphones if they had them at the time other than pray to do anything about Hitler. You could talk about it all you want. You'd speak whatever you want about him. It wouldn't have changed anything. God deals with, but it would have changed you a lot, and it would have stirred up a lot of who knows what. God uses authorities to combat authorities. And when this comes to church, uh, I know that Hitler's like an outlying example, but that you see this a lot in, in church. Okay, one thing you need to know about positions of authority Shepherds see things that sheep do not see. 
Shepherds know stuff that sheep don't know. Sheep don't rebel against shepherds. They just, they don't. Authority sees things you do not see. And God uses authority for his purposes. Rebellion against authority is rebellion against God because God ultimately, because it's ultimately rooted in a distrust of God. You don't trust that God made the right choice in instituting that authority. And so I have to rebel in order to preserve and save fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Now, I want to um, look at a couple markers of what it looks like to rebel against authority um, in the modern world within the internet age and the Twitter sphere. Um, and you, there's a couple markers that you can see, and you can see it in yourself and see, hey, am I rebelling against authority or not? And again, when you God is not okay with rebelling against authority, you cannot speak evil of a ruler of your country. I Look, I would like a president who has better policies and a little bit more physical vigor and mental capacity. But Joe Biden is President Biden. I do not get to dishonor him with my mouth on a platform. Like, I'm just not gonna do that. I hope we get a president with policies that I would prefer. We might not. We might not. I don't get to, I still have to do what God has asked me to do, even if the outcome is not what I like. One of the things, rebels will do is they will assign motive when you can't assign when there's no way to possibly assign motive conspiracy theorists do this all the time they're the most obvious well they did this because they're part of the cabal or whatever um they did this because they're corrupt if you assign motive to people you're already going down a wrong place rebels are also almost always always seeking an audience in the internet age they're always seeking an audience they're wanting to stand up and say Look, look at me. I can, I am going to speak against anointed authority without proper channels. And they're always, always, almost always seeking an audience. They want someone to come over to their camp and see things as they see them. They're, they're very okay pulling sheep away from shepherds. that's, That's like the best metaphor that I can think of is they're okay pulling sheep away from shepherds and pretending that they themselves are good shepherds when they're not, they're not rebels are never good shepherds. Rebels, rebellion is deep in the heart of man. Man. One, you got to know, like, every, everyone in authority is corrupt to, from someone's perspective. Just, just just assume everyone in authority is corrupt from someone's pers- per- perspective. Um, you got to also remember, I've said this above, all authority is ordained by God. That means when someone becomes an authority, God has approved of it because he is the one who gives authority to men. Bad authority doesn't give you permission to revolt or rebel. Well, let's see. What if it's sinful? Well, resistance must be silent. You don't speak evil against the ruler of your people. Resistance must be silent. You must keep that faith between you and God. You, um, <clears throat> I'm going through my list here that I had made. Because I, I have a lot of thoughts about this, and so I just make a list, and now I'm just going through my list. Um. Everyone who despises authority tends to also desire authority. Rebels always claim infallibility. Oh, man, this is a good one. This is a good one. Um, This is a tendency I've known. Every person I know who has tried to rebel against authority, whether they speak evil online or even led a revolt, all of them lay out principles or 
teachings or you could say even doctrines and they claim they're they wouldn't say it directly but they're stating that they're infallible they're they're saying this is the right way this is the this is the way this is the way this is the way every single time they they wouldn't say it directly but they are demonstrating that they believe that they are infallible otherwise why would you rebel against authority if you didn't think your way was the right way you wouldn't rebel without thinking you were right you wouldn't rebel just to rebel i mean unless you're a teenager maybe you would um every rebel is that's the sin of absalom oh if only see you are your case is just if only i were king everything would be better if everything all rebels always claim if i were only in charge then everything would be good that's what they do everyone you hear everyone who despises authority speaks evil of authority especially when they're seeking an audience also wants authority even though god has not instituted that authority or that office to them okay. uh, rebels also stir up a false hope they always stir up false hope. They rally people to their cause. They create division. They get everybody trying to think on the same page, but they have no authority to make any change happen. So they'll get people online. They will stir up this false hope that if we get a big enough audience and you listen to me and I just keep rambling and rambling and rambling and rambling and speaking against instituted official authority, that there's going to be some change and there's not actually ever change. There's not change. If you actually, okay, so let's just say, if you want to, if you think something is corrupt and you want to change it, there are means for you to do that that are not rebellious. You can run for public office. You can find yourself in an instant, go, you know who's really good at this, by the way? Leftists. Leftists are really good about saying like, that institution is corrupt in my eyes. I'm going to go join it and I'm going to stay there forever until I change it to my image. They're, they're, I'm not applauding them. I'm just saying they're really good at it. I just lost my spot on my notes. Um, oh, so rebels, they stir up false hope. So they they draw people to their cause. They try to get people all thinking on the same page. They tend to stir up anger. And then they can't change anything because they don't actually have authority. They have an audience. They don't have authority. It's false hope. Division causes anger. Division causes resentment. It causes bitterness of soul and separation between close friends. It causes um, um, it causes strife. Those are sins of the flesh. See Galatians, uh, what is that? Galatians five. Those are sins of the flesh. Enmity and strife towards other people. That's sins of the flesh. And rebels stir that up under the guise of false hope that things are going to change if you speak evil enough against a ruler of your people, and it's not going to happen. If you want to change things, enter a place of, go through the proper channels. But if you're just looking for an audience or you're just looking to vent or if you're just looking to rebel, and a lot of people on YouTube these days are just trying to create an audience and rebel and speak evil of rulers of the people to gain an audience and make it feel like we're changing and you're not changing anything. You're just feasting your flesh on sin is all you're doing. False hope is also fragile. It seems like things are always under constant threat that your enemy, your enemy quickly becomes your neighbor or the person on Twitter and they're a threat to your false hope. I've noticed, and I, I just noticed this when I was on, on the Twitter sphere and even on, you see it on YouTube also, 
it's funny. People will make response videos about response videos about response videos. Just making sure their camp is all on the same page. But on Twitter, people will get this large audience built entirely around rebelling against authority, speaking evil of authority, and you know, not saying it directly, but be, saying that their teaching is infallible. And then when somebody you know points something out that's a flaw, they will then you know repost it and say, "Look how stupid, or look how dumb, or look how evil this person is," and all of the followers just jump on them, just jump on them, jump on them, just. And you're like, you as a person with an audience just caused your entire audience to sin. Woe to the one who puts a st- who causes another to sin. And because you have now stirred up enmity and strife against people they don't know. Who you don't, you're not even having a long argument. You're having an argument over 280 characters. Oh man, we have, we are, we are in trouble, my friends. My goodness. And so when you have, but coming back to that, false hope is so fragile. You're following this person and they're stirring up strife and they're stirring up, they're making it feel like they're going to, you're on the right side of an argument or against authority. And, but that hope is very fragile because it can't actually change anything. And if someone speaks against it, it breaks and it causes, Ooh, you don't want your false hope to break because if you have hope that's broken, that's really a dangerous spot. But if it's false hope and it breaks, you're just, you're living in a delusion almost living in a delusion. And then here, let me, I'm going to say this. Every rebel who hears this only hears me saying, Hey, just be passive and allow things to happen. Just don't care. That's all that that's every rebel. Who's listening to this is like, dude, you're just saying, don't care. Be passive. Just let things fall. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. Rebels always equate respect for authority as passivity. They always, that's always. I mean, I'm saying always a lot. I should say most often or frequently or something more like lawyer language, but I just, I'm not. Rebels equate respect for authority as passivity because they can't imagine doing good themselves where they are. They can only imagine speaking against authority. That's it. They can only stir up anger and strife and it's the only way for them to get recognized. And so what they take their YouTube channel and their Twitter sphere where they have built an entire platform off of, you know, rebelling with their words and speaking evil of people, calling it good. And then when I say you actually have to respect authority, even if you don't like it, they're like, well, you're just passive and you're going to let everything happen because they can't imagine anything else. They can't imagine trying to do something good while respecting authority at the same time. I run a podcast. I have zero authority. I have opinions. I have thoughts. I have zero, zero, zero authority. I only have authority in one place, and that's in my family. That is the only place I have authority. And then I guess when it comes to what comes on this podcast, that's it. I have a very small amount of authority. You and I have not been given authority for those kinds of things. You can't claim authority for yourself. Authority has to come from somewhere else. It has to come from authority. And it has to be, and it's all instituted by God. And you have to learn to respect authority and honor authority and not speak evil of those in authority because God has said so. Paul never, ever spoke against the authorities that he was against. 
Never once. Neither did Jesus. Well, Jesus did go into the temple. Let's be fair. Jesus went to the temple. He flipped some tables. He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He uh, also um, called them whitewashed walls. He said a lot of things, actually, that I... Um, that you could say, oh, see, he's rebelling against authority with his mouth. And two responses. I don't think he's actually rebelling necessarily. But by the big, it's like, also, he's God. He's the highest authority. It's his job to speak when uh, he uses, God uses authority to deal with authority. And Jesus is God. So there are things that he gets to say, you and I don't get to say. Peter, in his letter, when he says, honor the emperor. He's saying, honor the one who in just a few years will kill me. Honor the king that killed one of my best friends. He killed, he killed James, one of my best friends, someone who walked with Jesus. He killed him and he tried to kill me also. And you have to honor him. God, God doesn't allow rebellion against authority without consequences. Ever, ever. And you and I coming up on an election year or if we're dealing with our church authorities or whatever, we don't get to rebel with our mouth to stir division and to cause strife among people because all we're doing when we rebel against authority is indulging in sin of the flesh and enmity and strife and everything listed, most everything listed in Galatians chapter 5. And you and I need to take that very, very seriously coming up into the election season. And we're also in a season of Advent where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has come into the world and all authority sits upon his shoulder and the government of the world sit upon his shoulder and the governments of the churches sit upon his shoulders. And he is overseeing the course of human history from from the right hand of the throne of God Almighty and he will come again in glory. And all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to him which means all human authority on earth he knows about and he is aware of and he has authority over them. And the spiritual authorities behind the authorities of the earth that we wrestle with in Ephesians 6 and that we pray against, Jesus also has authority over those. So what are we supposed to do? If we can't rebel against authority, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. Paul gives the instruction, pray for rulers and places of high authorities that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. When you pray, heavenly authorities respond. In Daniel, Daniel prays. And three weeks later, an angel shows up. It took the angel. He's like, sorry, I was delayed. He shows up and he says, your prayers have been heard and I have been sent. And when you pray, heavenly authorities do what God has ordained them to do. And you and I, we don't know how it works. We don't see it. We, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to ask him, but pray. And thank God that Jesus Christ is the, has all authority in heaven and on earth, that he has come into the world this, and that we get to celebrate it this Christmas season in this wonderful country. And, and God bless you this Christmas season. That's all I have for you today and for 2023. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. If you want to dive deeper into the Institute of Men, become a subscriber on instituteofmen.org. There you can sign up for my newsletter. You can choose a free or a paid subscription, and then you'll receive exclusive content. Financial support of any kind is very much appreciated. 
If you didn't like this content, just pretend you didn't listen. That helps us out too. Until next time, I'm Keaton Tucker, and this is the Institute of Men podcast.